Dog Days of Podcasting, Day 16, Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. Today's topic, pre-1918 influenza epidemics. The flu was actually the first epidemic we brought up back in episode three, where I talked about a possible flu epidemic in China about 5000 BC. If you recall, I also read a bit from a passage from a book called The Flu by A. Moritz and how it was also spelled P-L-U in early Hawaiian culture. Of course, influenza is a viral respiratory infection that causes symptoms similar to, but more severe than, the common cold. Flu symptoms can can include sudden onset fever, cough, runny or stuffy nose, and severe malaise. I actually don't think I've ever had the flu in my life. If I have, I, I forgot it, or it was very mild. So I guess I'm lucky. Symptoms develop one to four days after contracting the virus. Most people recover within two weeks without medical treatment, but it can cause serious complications, including pneumonia, bronchitis, and sinus and ear infections. The flu season typically lasts from late fall to spring. Each year, flu epidemics cause three to five million cases of severe illness, and about 290,000 to 650 deaths around the globe, according to the WHO. So just for comparison purposes, our current COVID epidemic, we have about 22 million confirmed cases and already about 786,000 deaths, which is quite a bit more than the flu, uh, even on a big year, will cause. During recent years in the U.S., about 12 thousand to fifty six thousand people have died annually from the flu according to the cdc again for contrast so far COVID has caused about 5.6 million cases and 175,000 deaths in the u.s so yeah even despite what seem to be quite onerous measures taken and taken in many many states Even with these measures, COVID is killing way, way more than your typical flu does. Uh, Anyway, after that possible occurrence in 5000 BC, the next mention of it that I found was about 12,000 BC in Babylon and nearby areas. In 412 BC, there was a possible flu epidemic in Greece and Rome, as noted by the Greek physician Hippocrates, who clearly described the symptoms. Influenza-like illnesses had been documented in Europe since at least Charlemagne, who lived around 800 AD. The word influenza, however, wasn't used to, to describe a disease until many centuries later. In 1357, people called an epidemic an epidemic in Florence, Italy, influenza di freddo, which translates to cold influence, referring to the disease's possible cause. Yeah, there was an outbreak of flu in uh, 1357, which is right after the Black Death, because, hey, in Europe in those days, there was always something. In 1414, French chroniclers used similar terms to describe an epidemic that affected up to 100,000 people in Paris. They said it originated from a, quote, smelly and cold wind. 1493, Columbus lands for the second time on the island of Hispaniola, which is now Haiti and the Dominican Republic, bringing livestock in order to start a colony there. 
Influenza, probably from germs carried by the livestock, sweeps through the native people, killing many of them. I also read almost the entire indigenous population of the Antilles was killed by an epidemic resembling influenza that broke out in 1493 after the arrival of Christopher Columbus. By the way, the greater Antilles includes the Cayman Islands, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Jamaica, Puerto Rico. Modern researchers believe that American Indian traders carried the disease to Florida and, and throughout the Caribbean. Uh, recall yesterday I accused Columbus of possibly bringing smallpox to that area. That was me speaking, but you can see uh, people think he could have brought flu to that area. So all of these epidemics up to around 1500, the evidence for them is not absolutely clear. And I'm thinking it's partly because the flu does not have, this is me speaking, the flu doesn't have these really obvious outward signs like the small, like smallpox, which has all those uh, horrible blisters, or bubonic plague, which has the buboes. So you don't have that with the flu, so it's a little harder to diagnose, nor maybe it may not leave uh, noticeable signs on a corpse as well. So some diseases, I know I've read, even if a, a, a body is turned into nothing but bones, you can actually look at the bones and see what disease they died from, especially if it's like cancer, which I know is not an infectious disease necessarily. But some diseases can leave impacts even on the bones. The flu is more of a respiratory thing. So you think lungs, soft tissue, uh, maybe after a person dies that decomposes in such a way that it's really hard to look at a corpse and say they died from the flu. That's my guess. But it does appear that after 1500, when people say it was a flu epidemic, it's more reliable. Uh, so for example, the epidemic of 1510 was the first flu epidemic known to hit multiple continents, Europe, North Africa, and Asia. This was also the first to be pathologically described following communication advances brought about by the printing press. Hey, I brought up the printing press, didn't I? About how I thought that could uh, make things seem worse in these times because it's just more reporting of it. Patting myself on the back here for having thought of that. The first pandemic of influenza to be reliably, reliably recorded as spreading worldwide was the 1557 influenza pandemic in which recurring a recurring wave likely killed Queen Mary I of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury within 12 hours of each other. One of the most well-chronicled pandemics of influenza in the 16th century occurred in 1580, beginning in East Asia and spreading to Europe throughout Africa, Russia, and the Spanish and Ottoman empires. In Rome, over 8,000 people were killed. Several Spanish cities saw large-scale deaths, among the fatalities, the Queen of Spain, who was Anne of Austria. In 1675, a flu epidemic killed many Native Americans in the Northeast. 1732 to 1733, flu epidemic in the 13 colonies. More outbreaks in Europe and America in the late 1700s. There was a worldwide flu pandemic in 1847 to 1848. I read something that I think came from what was called the Edinburgh Medical Journal, and this was written in 1891. The title of it was Influenza, Influenza, 
influenza, or the or epidemic Qatar fever. Influenza or epidemic Qatar fever. Qatar means copious discharge of mucus associated with inflammation of mucous membranes. Okay, so this was written in 1891 in a medical journal. So I actually clicked on it, was trying to read it, and it was an excerpt from this journal, but it really didn't say anything about the flu in 1847 to 1848, all right? But nevertheless, it was interesting reading. So I'm going to read a passage from it. Again, this weird, archaic language to us now, but just listen to this. It's kind of wacky. Here, here, here goes. The features of the recent epidemic are carefully recorded. One perhaps may feel that sufficient detail has not been brought forward with regard to thermometric observations in the disease, seeing that the late epidemic was the first since the use of the clinical thermometer become, became general. The etiology of the malady is fully discussed, and the connection, spelled C-O-N-N-E-X-X, or X, just one X, X-I-O-N, connection, of influenza with diseases in animals, especially pink eye in horses, is noted. The author, early in December 1889, and before the epidemic had gained a footing in London, was led to predict from the prevalence of pink eye among horses the probable onset of an epidemic of human influenza. This prognostication prognostication was fully justified by the subsequent course of events. We may point out, however, that in the latter part of last year, pink eye was similarly prevalent without as yet being followed by any outbreak of the disease in man. The essentially debilitating character of the malady has apparently been a constant feature. This is manifested in a marked way by the nature of the treatment recommended, there being a general consensus of opinion that lowering remedies were to be avoided. I don't know what lowering remedies means. Even when the Lancet was a universal remedy, physicians recognize that here it was necessary to use caution. Thus, in the epidemic of 1510, quote, bleeding and purging did hurt, unquote. In 1557, quote, bleeding or purging was so dangerous that in the small town of Mantua Carpentaria, 2,000 were let blood of and all died, unquote. In 1710, quote, bleeding very pernicious or fatal, unquote. In 1836, abstraction of blood was considered of doubtful propriety and Similar statements are made in the majority of recorded epidemics. So pink eye and bleeding, you guys can decide what all that business means. By the way, I tried to find the city of Mantua Carpinteria. I didn't find it. I could not Google it, nor did I find it in Google Maps. But there is a Gulf of Carpinteria in Australia. Anyway, this all brings us to the big one, the big flu epidemic, right? The big, big, big one. No, not the one in 1918. There was one before that. The big flu epidemic or pandemic of 1889 to 1890. I'm not sure I knew about this. Um, So about that one. Originally, the Asiatic flu or Russian flu, as it was called, this strain was thought to be an outbreak of the influenza A virus subtype, subtype H2N2. The recent discoveries have instead found the cause to be influenza A virus subtype H3N8. 
So if I have time, I'm going to go through all that subtype business. We'll see. Uh, but I'm sure that's worth an episode. Continu- continuing on, the first cases were observed in May 1889 in three separate and d- distant locations. Kind of interesting. Bukhara in Central Asia, Turkestan, Athabasca in northwestern Canada, and Greenland. Rapid population growth of the 19th century, specifically in urban areas, only helped the flu spread. And before long, the outbreak had spread across the globe. It was the first true pandemic in the era of bacteriology, and much was learned from it. Remember John Snow uh, did the thing with the uh, smallpox epidemic on, in Broad Street in London in 1854. So we're really ramping up the idea of germ theory in the 1800s. So I guess that's what they mean by the area of bacteri- bacteriology. In the end, the 1889 to 1890 flu pandemic claimed the lives of over a million individuals. Interestingly, I read this, a genomic viro- virological study in 2005 said that, quote, it is tempting to speculate unquote, that the virus might have not actually been an influenza virus, but a human coronavirus. So this was published 15 years ago. Someone suggesting that a coronavirus was the pandemic of 1889 to 1890. Pretty interesting, because I don't think we've we, we've anyone suggested a coronavirus has caused a pandemic until now, except for this one. This guy says it could have happened in 1889, 1890. So it's also reading, it's really interesting how well they know how this flu spread. I mean, often we know it went from one country to another, but they get really specific with this one. I, you know, there are newspapers and everything, so it's probably much more easier to track. So this is just an example. From St. Petersburg, the flu spread via the Baltic shipping trade to Vaxholm, which I think is in Sweden, in early November 1889, and then to Stockholm and the rest of Sweden, infecting 60% of the population within eight weeks. First Norway, and then Denmark, followed soon after. The German Empire first received it in Poznan or Poznan in December, and on the 12th of December, 600 workers re- were reported sick in Berlin and Spandau, with the cases in the city reaching 150,000 within a few days and ultimately half of its 1.5 million inhabitants. Vienna was also infected around the same time. Regarding America, I read, the first case on American soil was reported on December 18th, 1889. It then quickly spread throughout the East Coast and all the way to Chicago and Kansas in just days. The first death, Thomas Smith of Canton, Massachusetts, was reported on Christmas Day, 1889. San Francisco and other cities were also reached before the month was over, with the total U.S. death toll at about 13,000. Couple final thoughts. There was no standard treatment of the flu, with quinine and phenazone used, as well as small doses of strychnine and larger doses of whiskey and brandy, and as cheaper treatments, linseed oil, salt and warm water, and glycerin. So, just a note: quinine is an anti-malarial drug, uh, but it also is the bitter taste of tonic water. I guess it has this bitter taste. So first people would take it to, to stave off malaria, but I guess they liked the bitter taste. So tonic water became its own thing to drink this. 
Uh, of course, people add things to it but as well. Uh, phenazone is an analgesic and an anti-inflammatory. Strychnine is nothing but a, a horribly poisonous alkaloid, but for some reason, people thought if you took it in really tiny doses, it could act as a medicinal itself. Not, I don't think that's substantiated. And finally, many people thought that fasting would starve the fever based on the belief that the body would not produce as much heat with less food. This was, in fact, poor medical advice. Furthermore, many doctors still believed in that stupid miasma theory of diseases and neglected the possibility of infectious spread of the disease. So the flu pandemic of 1889 to 1890 was very big, and it portended an even bigger one. Stay tuned.